May God be within us to refresh us, around us to protect us, before us to guide us, above us to bless us, beneath us to hold us up. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the second Sunday of Easter. Before getting to the readings this morning, let me take a minute to talk about the significance of the name of this Sunday. Notice that it is the second Sunday of Easter. If you were paying attention during Lent, you may have noticed that the Sundays were in Lent, not of. There's a reason for this. As you know, Lent is 40 days long. But if you sit down with a calendar and start counting the days from Ash Wednesday to Easter, you will get more than 40 unless you omit the Sundays. This is because all the Sundays in Lent are not a part of Lent. Each and every Sunday of the year is a little Easter. Thus, the Sundays in Lent, you are dispensed from your Lenten disciplines, whatever disciplines you chose for yourself. However, the same is not true for the season of Easter. The Sundays do count as part of the 50 days from Easter to Pentecost. Just a little inside baseball, as Father Brewer might say. Today's readings are all from the New Testament. We have readings from the Acts of the Apostles, the Revelation to St. John the Divine, and the Gospel of John. You can get used to this pattern. Our first reading will be from Acts from now all the way through the day of Pentecost. This morning I propose to preach about the reading from Acts and the reading from John's Gospel, but not about the reading from Revelation. Today's reading from Acts begins rather abruptly, with the apostles being dragged before the Council and Senate of Israel. Why? Well, for being too successful. It seems that the apostles have been preaching in the temple about the resurrection of Jesus. They were making converts, thousands of them. This was greatly annoying to the Sadducees who ran the temple, who, you will recall, believed that there was no such thing as resurrection. So one evening, they had the apostles arrested and thrown into prison until the next day when they could appear before the council. And this was not the first time. The apostles had been arrested previously. But during this night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the prison and brought the apostles out and told them to go to the temple and continue preaching the word of Jesus to the people. So, the next morning, as soon as the temple opened, there they were. That same morning, the council gathered and sent to the prison to fetch the apostles. 
But the officers found the prison doors locked and the guards standing at the doors, but no one was inside. This created no little stir, you might imagine. Then someone told the officers that the apostles were in the temple. So the officers went to the temple and, very gently, brought the apostles out. For they feared that the people would stone them if they took violent action against the apostles. They brought the apostles to the council. That's the same thing as the Sanhedrin you may have heard of. This is where our reading begins. The high priest was most irritated at seeing the apostles before the council again on the same charge. He angrily reminded them that the last time they had appeared, they were ordered not to preach in the name of Jesus at all. As you might expect, the reply came from Peter, ever the impetuous one. He as much as told the high priest, Sorry, buddy, we don't take orders from you. We take orders from God. And you killed him. But he was raised up and now rules from heaven. Now that's Hutzpah. That's where our reading ends. But, of course, there's more to the story. Having been told off to their faces, the council was enraged and wanted to kill the apostles. However, one member of the council, one Gamaliel, stood up. He had the apostles put out of the room. Then he delivered a very moving speech. I won't go into it all, but you can read it if you like in Acts 5, 35 to 39. Suffice it to say that he prevailed over the rage of the council. The man had the gift of persuasion. They called the apostles back in, beat them, and charged them again not to preach of Jesus. As though that plan had a snowball's chance of working. (laughs) Then they let the apostles free. They left rejoicing because they had been found worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And, of course, they continued preaching of Jesus every day in the temple kind of makes us going to church every Sunday seem pretty tame by comparison, doesn't it? The point to take from this reading was contained in Peter's response to the high priest. He said, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Those are our marching orders as members of the Christian church. God is our boss, and what he says goes.
Now, turning to the gospel reading from St. John, we have a significant event recounted. This is one of the rare times that the lectionary provides that we read the same identical gospel lesson in all three cycles. The first and second readings do vary with the cycles, but the gospel is fixed. It tells of Jesus appearing to the apostles in the upper room, first without Thomas, and later with him present. I must confess it is one of my favorite gospel readings. The day is the first Easter. The apostles have already heard from Mary Magdalene that the tomb was found empty earlier that morning and that Jesus had appeared to her. This must have been very troubling to them. Then, in the evening, while the door is locked, Jesus appears. Now recall that this is a group of very frightened men and women who felt strongly threatened by the temple authorities. They had just lived through the horrific scene of Calvary. The crucifixion was such a ghastly death they must have believed that they were next, and not without good reason. But without bothering to open the door, Jesus stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Peace must have been the last thing any of them had thought about that day. But there was Jesus saying, Peace be with you. We can learn something of the resurrected body from what happened at the tomb that morning and what happened in the upper room that evening. Mary did not recognize the Lord at the tomb, but thought he was the gardener. She only recognized him when he called her by name. Then Jesus appears through a locked door. Clearly, the resurrected body was quite different from the body of Jesus they had known for the last three years. It was recognizable, or not, at will, and quite capable of communicating. But it could also appear and disappear at will without regard for physical barriers. It bore the marks of the wounds from the cross. It was quite capable of breathing on the apostles and conveying to them the Holy Spirit. But Jesus went further. He gave them the power to forgive or to retain the sins of others. This is the most strongly worded of any of the gospel accounts of this passage. It is quite unambiguous. It is now time to talk of Thomas, perhaps the apostle with whom I identify most strongly. Since he was not present when Jesus appeared, 
the apostles told him what happened when they saw him next. Thomas's reaction calls to mind the immortal word of Bill Cosby. Right. <laughs> As one who has a rather literal mind, I can really identify with Thomas's skepticism. Show me a Rorschach test, and all I see is an ink blot. But show me something mechanical, or an income statement, or a blueprint, and I see it clearly. Perhaps Thomas was that way. He was an honest skeptic. He did not disbelieve. He wanted to see a tangible manifestation in the flesh, if you will. He was extremely fortunate that Jesus saw fit to oblige him a week later. Jesus again appeared, and Thomas was among the group. Jesus again gave his greeting of peace. He challenged the skeptic in Thomas to carry out his test. He challenged Thomas to put his finger in the five wounds of the cross on his resurrected body. And he mildly admonished, do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas replied with words seared into my heart, my Lord and my God. I say those words to myself each time I hold the consecrated bread and wine at the words of institution in the canon of the Mass. They are a very powerful confession of belief all skepticism banished. Jesus continues his admonition. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Those words should sound pretty good in your ears because there go all of us. We have the assurance that we are blessed by the Lord for believing, just as his closest followers were. You might want to consider a bit of timing here. If we are to accept John's chronology, Jesus' first appearance in the upper room was on Easter Sunday, the first Easter if his second appearance was a week later, that would be the second Sunday of Easter, today. That makes today a very appropriate day to observe the events of St. Thomas, don't you think? Since this is Thomas Sunday, I feel it important to say something about him as a person. The Lesser Feasts and Fasts provides a biographical sketch, which I will quote loosely. Quote, the Gospel of John records several incidents in which Thomas appears, and from them we are able to gain some impression of the sort of man he was. When Jesus insisted on going to Judea to visit his friends at Bethany, Thomas boldly declared, let us also go 
that we may die with him. At the Last Supper, he interrupted our Lord's discourse with the question, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And, of course, there is the incident recounted in today's Gospel. Thomas appears to have been a thoughtful, literal-minded man, inclined to skepticism. But he was a staunch friend when his loyalty was once given. The expression, doubting Thomas, by which he is widely known, is not entirely fair. He did not refuse belief. He wanted to believe, but did not dare without further evidence. Because of his goodwill, Jesus gave him a sign, though Jesus had refused a sign to the Pharisees. The sign did not create faith. It merely released the faith that was in Thomas already. According to early tradition, Thomas evangelized the Parthians. Then he went to Syrian Christians of Malabar in India. They call themselves the Martoma Church to this day in his honor, cherishing the tradition that Thomas brought the gospel to India. Thomas's honest questioning and doubt and Jesus' assuring response to him have given many modern Christians courage to persist in faith, even when they are still doubting and questioning. Close quote. Do you ever feel that way? Well, if you do, perhaps Thomas could be your patron saint. What I hope you will take from this, this reading this morning is this. In this pericope, Christ tells us that there is a bigger faith, a faith that can dispense with tangible proofs and visible evidence, a faith that believes heroically even when there is no obvious and immediate confirmation building unafraid and confident on God's holy word. Amen.